0: This is Coda Radio, episode 429, for August 30th, 2021. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. This episode is brought to you by Cloud Guru. You know, Cloud Guru has the cloud playground. That's Azure, AWS, and Google's cloud on their sandbox, on their credit card, not yours. Get certified, get higher, get learning at a cloudguru.com. My name is Chris, and joining us like the podcast pro that he is, it is our host, indeed, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. What is up, Mr. facha Oh, you know, on the road again. On the road, and this time I'm in Arizona. In like the northern east area of the state, trying to stay somewhere where there's shade. (laughs)
1: Mm, Yes.
0: Where I'm going, it's 106 degrees today. And I just figured I'm going to wait it out as long as possible up north. And then pounce. So the dumb thing that I'm doing is I'm recording a bunch of my shows today. This is the first one. And then I'm just recording for like the rest of the day. The tricky bit is is we did all the research ahead of time, and everybody said the signal was fine, and I ended up here in Sholo, Arizona, and there seems to be some sort of cellular vortex here that just is where cellular devices go to die. Uh, like two out of my four devices are just not working, even with the same carriers, and what, what does work is oh, oh, abysmal abysmal. But it is nice to be here because we're at a golf course, the Bison Golf Club, and it's gorgeous. It is such a cool spot. And it's nice to be somewhere that looks built up because since I left Colorado and drove through New Mexico and the western northern area of Arizona, it's like Mad Max land out there, dude. Stuff has completely collapsed. Buildings are just abandoned. There's there's team or uh, groups of people that are like roving homeless people that are caravanning around out there. It's people are fighting over water and fuel. It is legitimately Mad Max out there right now. Nobody's talking about this. In fact, I thought I should like get my camera out and start capturing some of this because uh, it's, it's wild. If you're not familiar with Mad Max, it's a series of movies that follow the adventures of Max, who's a police officer. Uh, It's in the future Australia where, they're experiencing societal collapse due to water and other critical resource shortages like fuel. <laughs> you no, know, just just the luxury items. Yeah, you know, just the luxuries. Wow. So you go through that for a couple of days and then you roll into like civilization where there's people with nice cars and nice... And water. Yeah, and playing golf. And it's like none of that's even going on. It's, it's, cr- it's a crazy disconnect. And I... I don't know what to make of it. Uh, you know, I always look at that stuff in the lens of like, how does that affect my business? What impact can I have there? I don't have any of those answers. Hmm. So just those observations, but yeah, you know, feels like we're living in Mad Max. It's just wild. And if you haven't seen it, it's a fun movie series. Get you thinking. Why don't we do a little bit of feedback though, while my connection holds, because <laughs> who knows how much longer. Thank you everybody who goes over to coder.show slash contact, by the way, and uh, leaves us a little bit of feedback. We do appreciate that. Now, there was an email that came into the show about junior dev jobs going away. And the writer writes in, essentially saying, although it's not loading for me because my connection's so horrible, that when he's gone around and done interview for a junior dev position, it seems like what they really want is somebody with quite a bit of experience. He says, here, now it loaded, I've mostly been working in smaller businesses, and now when I've gone out and explored, it seems like they have expectations that would really be more like somebody who's a senior developer. He said, I've had a lot of junior roles since then, and I felt like they don't actually really want junior. They want somebody who's just a cheap, mid-range developer, and they're labeling it as a junior developer. Are the junior developer jobs disappearing? I'd love to hear your thoughts and any advice if possible. His point about labeling a position they basically want to just milk for additional work and pay less kind of did resonate with me.
1: Did it? Okay. So I would be curious about your your take first thing, because I, I think I'm gonna have the exact opposite take.
0: I have seen companies that will claim they want something that just is absurdly over the top as an expectation for an entry-level position. Um you know five years with technology X when it's only been out for three years. Like those are real problems but I've also seen companies kind of use this as a, well, this is a starting position. And if you work a little extra harder and do these extra things, you know, we'll promote you to the next tier when really that's just ends up being the entire job is you take on a bunch of extra responsibilities that you should have just been getting paid for from the beginning.
1: Okay. So I am actually currently hiring for a junior Python dev, plug, plug, plug. And I've been hiring for junior devs on and off for, I don't know, a long time, right? I can tell you from the other side that ooh, this is going to be spicy. Things have changed, but I would say they've changed in what the junior devs are expecting life to be like is uh, uh, not so realistic. Or how can I put this? More than they would have ever dreamed to expect in, let's say, twenty fourteen, you know, twenty twelve, whatever. For instance, wages for junior devs have, in general, gone up. Uh, but the pro- productivity has not, <laughs> right? So that's problematic. There has been quite the emphasis on more of like a mentorship and training, which is all great. I'm not against that. I've done more than my share. The challenge is, you know, to hire anybody, you're not a school, you're not a charity. It does have to ultimately be profitable. Um, and given the risk of a junior developer blowing something up, it has to be significantly profitable. I would kind of push back on this and say, well, what is a fair salary for someone with little to no experience who's entry level? And the value return has to be, you know, some multiple of that salary, right? It can't be like they're just barely profitable. I mean, I understand that larger organizations do sometimes have schemes like that where they put you in like a multi-year training program. Although I think those are even going away. But from my perspective, you know, as a small business owner who owns a dev shop, uh, junior devs come with just a ton of risk. They are the most likely people to blow up your, your stuff. They are the most likely people to need just tremendous handholding. And yeah, it's pretty simple. The more you pay someone, the more you expect. And right now with the kind of base wage for a junior dev being higher than it's in general, right? This, Of course, this will be regional and they will be technology differences, uh, but with it being quite a bit higher than it ever was before, um, at least from my perspective, the expectations are are indeed higher. Now, I don't look for the years of experience stuff, but I do expect junior devs to be able to actually do development and, frankly, to be willing to do the work that nobody else wants to do, right? the documentation, the QA, the, you know what, fix this bug, it's a crunch time, it's an emergency. I don't know. I know that's unpopular. I know there's definitely a move away from that now.
0: I've seen people write in recommending like listener Dane wrote it and said, you know, don't have junior developers do documentation, keep them in code all the time and actually have the senior developers do documentation and data gathering tasks. I could see that argument. I think I see it from your perspective pretty clearly. And for a for a development shop your size, it feels like there is a a role for junior developers and like you're acknowledging, yeah, there's also a risk for my business. And we're willing to take that on if we can work with somebody that seems like the right fit. And uh, he's hiring plug plug. But I also can see, um, from the, from the emailers perspective, like there are large corporations that don't, <laughs> don't really understand the nuance that you just laid out there. And they just kind of label junior as a way to say cheap. Those are two separate issues. Now that you've laid it out like that. Dane wrote in, cause this is all part of the transitioning from developer to manager conversation we've been having for the last couple episodes. He went on to say that, um, Senior engineers want to be given a problem requirements, limitations, etc, but not told how to solve it. This might be challenging for a manager coming from an engineering background. Lead by asking questions, Dane writes, even if you know the answer, look for upcoming blockers. Get the engineer to think several steps ahead to help them identify blockers and remove those blockers well in advance. He says, mm, yeah, there's even very senior engineers uh they should probably still be led with questions, but just a different set of questions. Uh, how can this work be shared across multiple teammates? You know, what kind of tasks support the engineers and that kind of stuff. But Dane says, there's a lot more to share, uh, but I don't want to give you a novel. And <laughs> he did write in a pretty good uh, email. He says, also, I'm an all shows feed subscriber. i love to see that. And I think you've nailed it, though. Like, you just clearly outlined the junior dev position. And I think people that are applying for a junior dev position should have those expectations. Um, you should kind of be on board with what Mike just said because it is a risk for the business as well. And there's generally a lower set of skill sets that you're coming with and that kind of stuff. So there is a trade-off. Asish writes in, on the Intel conversation, I guess we've been talking about Intel and M1 a lot. Who knew? He says, I don't think Intel is going anywhere anytime soon. And I think he thinks we haven't really given this enough attention. He says, Intel is the only top to bottom silicon designer and manufacturer. There's obvious applications such as, you know, use in the DoD. But it doesn't stop there. You could see all kinds of uses for that. Other companies are reliant on parts of the market that can implode unexpectedly. And because they're so niche, they're physically isolated at the same time. Nations have taken some notes on the consequences in the past couple of years. And it seems folks were forgetting the first fanless MacBooks were Intel. I couldn't even begin to guess, Mike. Intel's got, you know, bare minimum another forty, fifty years, you gotta figure in the market?
1: Yeah, I don't I don't think anybody's saying they're gonna go away. They're just not gonna be the quote best processors for general computers for probably, you know, they won't have another shot for probably five years. I think that's a different conversation, right? Is Intel ever gonna file chapter eleven? No, right? Of course not.
0: No, and Mike and I are speaking mostly in the context of workstations, you know, developer workstations and production workstations. And good point. Good point. Also, we're yeah. frequently thinking about uh, in context of mobile. And that, I think, is where we see Intel being challenged. I can't even describe the, the number of emails that we have gotten from people that have said, yeah, I just wanted a really lightweight, very fast, quiet laptop. And I've gotten that sentiment at the meetups, too. And it's not like it's just this universal thing. It's not 100% of people. But I think um, there's a lot of people in the communities that our shows appeal to that are driven by sort of the latest and greatest tech. Like, there's a part of them that if they have a little bit of disposable income, that latest and greatest tech is at least fun to tinker with. It doesn't mean they don't also, like... Uh, uh, you know, something like the framework that really is pro right to repair. It just means they're technology, technologically curious, I would say. Um, I've had a lot of really good conversations uh, with several, several of the small micro meetups that we have done have been with Coda radio listeners who, you know, just uh, (laughs) one one guy, (laughs) one guy, listener, Mike, uh, who is awesome. He gave us an aerial tour of Denver When he was unloading his airplane, uh, he sort of like hung his head and pulled a brand new still still wrapped MacBook Air out and put it down on the ground. And he's like, listen, guys, I'm still using Linux, too. And I just had I'm like, Mike, you don't have to explain. No, it's like I just want you to know it's not that I'm just switching to the Mac. I have Linux as well. I just had to build a project for iOS. (laughs) Like, no, we understand. We totally understand. So where have I heard that before? Hmm. Yeah, (laughs) I know. Right. The road trip for me does continue on. I'm going down to Tucson for some repairs and then back up to Colorado for a bit and then home. And you can follow the journey at colonytracker.live. There is a micro meetup link on there. If you'd like to hit that link and uh, chat with me about tech or something like that, I'd love to grab a bite or a drink and uh, do just that. So, colonytracker.live. And if it works, it doesn't always work, but uh, you'll see me there on the live map and see if I'm in your area. And then you can hit that micro meetup link because uh, wouldn't that be fun? Sit around, you know, we could dish on Mike. It'd be a a blast. It'd be a blast. Linode.com slash coder. That's where I have that colony tracker hosted. Go there right now. Linode.com slash coder and get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account. Yeah, they're supporting this show, and it's a great way to keep this show going is by supporting our sponsors. And we just enthusiastically endorse Linode. I get them, really, to be honest with you, because they started in 2003 as one of the very first companies in this cloud computing thing. And now they've been doing it for 18 years. They're still independent. They're just now the largest independent cloud provider. They've got 11 data centers around the world and a million customers and businesses around the globe. But they've just remained focused on one thing that entire time. And Jeez, you know, I suppose I'm about 13 years into that for the most part, but I, I, they have, they maintained a focus much better than I did initially. I kind of, I kind of went meandered all over the place. It's, it's, it's tricky when you're a, when you're a small business and you see a bunch of other things being tried. I could have seen Linode take their eye off the ball, but they never did. They just kept focusing on making cloud computing, simple, affordable, and accessible to all. And that means if you've been deploying servers for 20 years, you're going to love Linode. And if this is the first time you've ever done something, but you thought, what a great chance to support the show it's going to work for you too. They've got an app marketplace where you can deploy an entire stack or, or even actually just sort of like the first third of a stack. I don't know what the term for that is, but like one that I love to go to, my go-to is like a Debian base or now actually a CentOS base and just enough stuff to run containers. And then I just take everything from there, right? Because that's just a pretty straightforward thing. And Linode's connections are so crazy fast. Plus, they have S3-compatible object storage, and I'll often tie that in with my systems for lots of storage. They have a powerful DNS manager, Kubernetes support, if you're clever and you go that way, as well as Terraform, and just so much more. That's why you really got to go check it out. See that they're 30 to 50% cheaper than the big cloud providers out there. You know, they could be part of a multi-cloud strategy as well. That's something to consider and a great way to learn, a great way to test something. And that's often a use case for me. So go try it all out and get $100 for 60 days at Linode.com slash Coder. At the end of last week, a lot of hay was made out of Apple making concessions to settle a developer lawsuit. And a ton of press ran with this story. It's sort of an anti-Apple story. Oh, Apple had to concede to developers. But now having a few days into this... I'm not as excited as the press seem to be. I mean, a few changes have happened in the policies. Developers can now communicate directly about alternative payment methods, but there's more to that story. Apple agreed to maintain a program it's already doing for for three more years. And Apple's also setting up a $100 million fund for small developers. However, ironically, 30% of that fund is going to the lawyers that made this case. Happen. And the company has said that it will issue transparency reports around its app store um, policies for accepting and rejecting apps. What do you think, Mr. Dominic? Is this uh, the win we were hoping for?
1: I had an interesting kind of journey with this. When I first read it, I misunderstood a key tenant of it the anti steering stuff, right? So I thought it was that you could simply have alternative payment solutions in your app, or you could at least link to them.
0: That'd be huge.
1: Right. It's not. You can say that there are alternative payment systems that exist in some amorphous place, but you may not link to them. So that's uh reminds me of Game of Thrones. It's funny scene see it where uh, uh, Peter Dinklish's character tells uh, Queen Daenerys, give them dragonglass because they'll they'll feel like you gave them something and really you gave them nothing. So that's, I think, where we are.
0: Yeah. And if you still sell something in the app, you have to use Apple's payment methods. And Apple still gets their cut if you sell it via the app.
1: I think The Verge had a great take on this where the App Store is simply too big of a uh, you know, too significant of a revenue item for Apple to really make any concessions at this juncture.
0: People always talk about Apple PR and Apple marketing, and that's why Apple people buy Apple products, and it's such a miss. Right. That's people. That's not why people are dropping thousands of dollars. I mean, brand lure is part of it. But it's 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 this is what Apple marketing is good at. They dropped this story in a way and they fed secret partners at press outlets certain talking points precisely in a way to get this to land as if this was a loss for Apple
1: to look like they lost, right, that they finally had to eat their humble pie.
0: And you know that this is going to come up in congressional hearings in the future. And the fact that all of these press outlets wrote about it really just kind of actually will further their case. Uh, That kind of stuff comes up all the time in those sort of hearings. And, you know, like, it's true that small business program is pretty great. That covers like 90% of the developers in the App Store. I mean, I'm not trying to take away from that. I I think that's a good deal. And the fact that you can mention alternative payments and maybe send them to a web page that has Stripe. Nope. No, you can't do that?
1: No, you so my understanding is you cannot have a button or a link in your app that sends them to the payment processing page. You may mention that if they visit, you know, your website that there might be one somewhere. You may not directly link it.
0: Well, oh man. <laughs> right. That's a shame. I mean, that's a shame.
1: So like Fortnite could be like, "Yo dog, we have a website. V-bucks might be cheaper there." But they can't be like, "Click here to go to our, you know, blah, 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 portal, and save 10%. <laughs> yeah.
0: They also made some concessions that aren't really concessions at, on the search criteria, basically saying they won't screw with it much more. So the only other real thing of substance here is they are going to issue a transparency report. Does this hold any weight with you?
1: I don't even know what that would mean.
0: I mean, I think about like their supply chain transparency report that they publish now.
1: So what are they going to say? Like, apps in these categories made. I don't know, X percent of revenue versus these.
0: I think it's going to be actually more around what was rejected and why. That seems to be the specific language around it. Is there going to issue transparency around the approval and rejection process?
1: It's it's hard not to hear all of this in the context of, of the disclosures we just got in the Epic lawsuit. Like, you know, they have unwritten rules about thou shalt not compete with Apple, right? Yeah. I don't know. Even in the best case, transparency doesn't necessarily mean change either.
0: I agree, but it does suggest that they might receive pushback. They could be they could be under more critical review. Um, but that's assuming they actually <laughs> are legit in what they publish. Uh, the more I review this, Mike, the more this feels like just a surprisingly well executed and very clever PR strategy by Apple to take a unrelated developer lawsuit that nobody's been talking about and make it look like they conceded. And then I'm sure this is going to help them in both their epic lawsuit somehow and also in congressional hearings.
1: Yeah, I feel like that's exactly what it's going to do, right? They get to say they made a preemptive concession.
0: And that Apple's made a series now of preemptive concessions with the change in the subscription revenue after a couple – after what, a year or two? Uh, with the small business program they launched last year and now with these additional quote-unquote concessions, they can now actually demonstrate like three or four years in a row of changes and concessions they've been making to, quote-unquote, remain competitive in the developer marketplace.
1: I don't know. It all feels like, particularly with the judge in the Epic case, uh, I, I forgot, I think this was the Verge again who had the good analysis of it. Basically, she seems to be harping on the anti-steering stuff, which is this, you can't tell people about other payment options. By the way, it's the same judge. I almost feel like they're kind of offering this as like, okay, Your Honor, we hear that you don't like this. How about this? Here's our like, you know, we suggest you order us to do the thing we'll voluntarily do anyway, right? Uh, Very much like the Facebook FCC settlement where, you know, the FCC or uh, was it FCC or FTC? I always get those. FTC, right?
0: FCC would be the communications agency. FTC is the trade. So it's FTC you're thinking of.
1: It was FTC, it was all excited about the 50 billion or whatever it was, billion dollar fine. And Facebook was like, hey, we won. And their stock price went up that day, right? I don't know. I think this is, uh, you know, I got taken by this a little bit the day it came out. Is it gaslighting? I hate that term gaslighting. I think that's something people say when they're just like, I don't know, I, they want to sound fancy.
0: What would you describe this as? It's some sort of manipulation. It's a, it, they're manipulating the perception of what's happened here, but I don't know what to call that.
1: I mean, you know, the journalists could have done, like, a better job here, right? They just didn't.
0: Apple spoon-fed this to the industrial press, like, the big press outlets that don't really follow the nuance of this stuff.
1: Business press, yeah.
0: Right, right. And they, like, Axios and and the other outlets in that kind of category, they didn't go to, like, the TechCrunch or the John Gruber's or uh, somebody else out there that knows and understands these policies. They... They went to people who just would would run with a kind of big tech bashing story. On the surface, this looks like a massive win for developers, and there are a few nuggets in here. You do get a commitment of the continuation of the small business program, which was probably a foregone conclusion, but now, now Apple's got it in writing. There is at least some improvement around communicating the fact that perhaps there's another way to pay, although it sounds like hardly a win. I think Apple did have some big changes in the works for app store search. So that way they could utilize first party data that they now seem to be the sole provider and collector of uh, with the privacy changes in the recent iOS. And I think that's been put on hold. That's good because I think that was Apple getting creepy with the app store, which I, you know, we don't need to see any more of that. So those types of concessions in here, I think are good because they keep things at least on the, in the right direction But they're really just guaranteeing things that we already had, um, which I suppose is better than losing them. But at the end of the day, I think this was, and we're going to see more of these, and we're probably going to see something similar, although I bet not as well executed from Google. These are the strategic moves that these large corporations make before they get into a congressional showdown. And we have seen companies do this over and over and over again. And that and the Epic lawsuit are truly what this is all about. The benefits now that Apple gets to set this narrative that the press took the bait and ran with it so successfully and now has so many people cover it are, are just it was one of the better executed public PR maneuvers we have seen from Apple in the Tim Cook era, I think.
1: This is his primary job, right? Keep keep the regulators off their back. It's not product development. It's not marketing. It's,
0: yeah. Keep the profits going, which means keep services revenue up. <laughs> All right, well, let's change gears. Uh, you got the details up on your Election Day Linux desktop contest, and... uh we actually do have uh, some kids in the audience that I think would be interested to know what the deets are. Yeah, so basically, you have to be a U.S. high school or middle
1: school, uh, middle school student. It can be anything open source, has to be on GitHub, related to kind of civics or you know, helping people find where to vote or anything really civ- civics education. Right? Any platform, any language, as long as it's open source on GitHub. Big differences. We're doing three winners. So that's three Thaleos, and it closes on Election Day. We're going to announce the winners on Election Day. So you can just submit it by clicking the link in the blog post.
0: Man, you're getting three Thaleos.
1: Three Thaleos, yep.
0: I don't even know how I would get together oh, the the funds to purchase one, especially with GPU prices right now. Uh, you're a madman, but uh, I guess that is the mad botter way. All right, yeah, links in the show notes at coder.show slash 429. And it'll be titled Election Day Linux Desktop Contest from the Mad Modder. And just recently touring that System 76 factory, it made me want a Thaleo so bad. You know, when we restarted this show, we talked a lot about our setups and some of the changes we had made. And then I end up here in the RV for like a 40 day long road trip. And I'm, you know, producing three or four shows a week at a minimum, sometimes five shows a week, depending on what's going on. And I am every time I am tearing down my setup and resetting it up. And this time too, I brought the MacBook with me and had to kind of learn how to conquer that in the right way. And I, it made me really kind of stop and think, I think before I ever do something like this again, I'm going to build a permanent setup, something built into the RV, you know, like a, like something that with a fold down screen and a, and a spot to mount the microphone and I could see the M1 Mac Mini being a pretty clever machine because when you look at it in the benchmarks, the Mac Mini is kicking a Nux butt and it's doing it at half the wattage. Like the knuckle will be doing it. These are really stupid rough numbers, so don't take my word for it. But the knuckle the will be doing it like at 66 watts when its CPUs are going. And the M1 can do the same job at 30 watts and do it slightly faster. And um, that for me, I am right, right now, I am running two laptops to do this. One's a ThinkPad and one's a MacBook. And they're sucking down power and they're sucking down a lot of power. And I'm running off solar, but I parked in the shade. So I'm not getting a lot of solar today. So today is a great example of a day where I have a full day of work. I'm recording multiple shows. My equipment needs to be running all day long. And I've also got some fans running and I am just barely getting my run covered with solar. And so when Apple talks about the power efficiency of the M1 and we talk about it in terms of workstations and desktops, I really had this kind of aha moment where I was like, oh, right. It actually is going to really matter how much power my desktop draws. And maybe we should all be thinking about that. Maybe we should be asking if our PCs need to have 1,000-watt power supplies. And maybe we should be thinking in general, how can we build these devices to consume less power? And maybe, you know, 20 years down the road, more and more homes are going to be powered off solar, and they're going to have to think about what they're doing with their power for the day. And I, I feel like the power draw now of my next desktop, because I don't want it to be a laptop. I want it to be built in, something like I affix to the wall. The power draw of my next desktop is a huge factor. And I, I don't know, I'm, I'm I'm just putting that out there. If other people in the audience have thoughts about power draw, because there's this is coming up, I don't know if you saw this, Mike, but I think in my home state of Washington now, Dell's no longer selling Alienware desktops because they draw too much power. You see this? And I think California's doing it too.
1: Yeah, I did see that, that they're limiting uh, power draw from computers for the environmental reasons.
0: And Apple's just sitting there laughing right now. <laughs> <laughs> they go for it they say. It's going to sell more Macs. Uh all right. So I'm on the road a lot and um I get asked a question frequently and I hate this question I always have even when I worked at a 9 to 5 job. What's the next thing for Jupiter Broadcasting? Or what are you doing next? Or alternatively when I worked at a company it was where do you see yourself in 5 years? This question, it it implies the expectation, number one, for JB that growth is mandatory. I mean, yeah, growth would be nice, but also isn't there a place for like a lifestyle business that gets to a certain size, becomes sustainable, and you just like have a goal of keeping that to slightly growing that? Like, isn't that okay? It, It seems like everybody always asks the question with the main goal of like, you want growth, you want or we're going to do five new shows. Or they, if I'm working for somebody, they want me to say, I want to be running the company in five years. And I hate this question.
1: Yeah, I think it's fundamentally a bad question. I know like any, you know, cool business consultant in a muscle teacher will tell you that like you need to have a goal. But the truth is when you're small, you don't know. You may have things you would like to happen, but a gentle breeze can sway you one way or the other.
0: Yeah. Like stay flexible. Like when, why can't that be a goal? Like I'm staying flexible and I'm always kind of keeping my eye on things. So that way I can respond as market demands. Like that seems like a good goal, but nobody likes that answer.
1: No. I mean, every time I've set like a firm goal in terms of like headcount or revenue, it's always been like when something imploded anybody with a goal and then COVID happened probably was uh, in a bit of trouble. Yeah. I generally don't even answer this question to be honest with you. That's how I handle it.
0: I've probably been asked it 20 times in the last few weeks (laughs) and I, you know, I mean, I have goals, right. But mine, mine are, are like, uh, I'd like to maintain and grow the business a bit. And I would, I would love to be able to launch one more show. And, uh, I would like to set a new tone in the Linux community. And that's something I have actually been thinking about pretty seriously is how could I position the shows in such a way that maybe we stop like this, uh, like shaming people for using a tool different than you. Um, it's just so tribal. And I think it's a huge turnoff to people that are coming in the Linux community. Like I think about, there was a couple of years ago, a, a mutual friend of ours made a lot of hay that the Linux foundation director, uh, Jim Zimmerman or whatever his name is. Sorry, I'm forgetting right now. Uh was using a Mac during a presentation and, you know, um, multiple YouTube videos were made about this and, you know, Twitter uh, threads and, a lot of a lot of public shaming. You know, the the people gathered in the circle to uh, throw their stones, and um, it seems so short sighted because the reality is that there's probably a lot more people that are running Linux on the server connecting in through a terminal on all kinds of different hardware and, and desktops. And yep. I think the community has to be way more welcoming to that kind of person. Like if you've got a VPS and a Raspberry Pi and you know you consider yourself a Linux user, then you're welcome. Or if you you know just listening because you're interested, you should be welcome and you shouldn't feel bad for using a Mac. Like I was joking that Listener Mike, when we met up in Denver... He felt he felt legitimately like he had to apologize for a MacBook in our presence, and you know I'm sitting here right now with one of my machines in front of me is a MacBook, and I I don't like that this has become so tribal and so so I don't know just it's like a it's a bad attitude in the Linux community I think makes us look bad and I think it needs to be extended beyond that and that would be a goal of mine of, of trying to reposition our community and I think our community is is well positioned to do it already because that's already a lot of our community is already that way. Like doing those kinds of things are goals, but it's, that's, that's not something that you can just say in like a elevator type conversation. And I'd, I'd be curious to know what the audience and how they answer when somebody says, what's next for your company. I'd love anybody out there who runs a small business and, and doesn't want it to be huge. You know, of course I'd love growth and more revenue and i you know, I'd love that kind of stuff, but uh, I'd love your input. And also if you've worked out there in a career and they ask you, what are you doing in the next five years? What do you say? How do you handle that? Coder.show slash contact. Also, thank you to our Coder QA team out there. You guys keep us going, keep us independent. And as a thank you, you get a limited ad feed and you get the Coderly that comes out every quarter. And that is at CoderQA.co. Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you would like to send people this week?
1: Uh, Just at Tim on
0: Twitter. That's simple. That's a secret recipe right there. And of course, we do have the link for the contest information for those three Thaleos in the show notes. In fact, links to everything we talked about today at coder.show slash 429. You go over there while you're there. You can hit that contact form and let us know your thoughts. That's a huge part of the show. It's a good way for us to gauge the audience interest in an episode, even if you didn't like it. And you also find resources to subscribe in your podcatcher of choice and you could always consider joining us. Let me tell you, it was quite the investment of effort to get the live stream going this week, and I'm sure it will be for a while while I'm on the road. So go see how it all comes together at jblive.tv. We do it at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern over there, and you can get it converted at jupiterbroadcasting.com calendar. Thanks for joining us. See you next week.